13, Matthew 13. Gladys, it's good to see you back. <coughs> I see that hand. Matthew 13. If you are able to stand, let's go ahead and stand together. We will look at verse 24 through verse 30. Matthew 13, 24 through verse 30. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? There's an obvious implication there that tares are bad seed. Verse 28, He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn Our text and title will come from verse 30. Let both grow together until harvest. Father, we love you and pray that you bless the message. We are thankful for the word of God. We pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts through the teaching of the scripture. We pray that you'd remove any barriers that would hinder people from receiving your word Remove distractions. Help us give attention to the scriptures. Bless the special music now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A lively hope. Honey, that was awesome. Let's have an invitation. I've got something I've got to share with you with this uh, passage that we read from. I initially want to, uh, as Ricky told Lucy, I have some splaining to do. Jesus interprets his parable. Now, he does not interpret all of the parables, but he does interpret this one because his disciples later on asked about this particular parable. Now, I love the fact that the Lord Jesus spoke in stories because we can understand stories. And of course, just in a mental review, remember, he tells a story of a man who sowed good seed, wheat, and while men slept, an enemy had come in, an adversary of this farmer who wanted to destroy his crops, planted tares 
bad seed. And then, as the seed begins to sprout forth and they see the leaves and the fruit, it becomes more obvious there were tares amongst the wheat. The servants of the farmer say, hey, Master, uh, didn't you plant good seed? Well, we see tares here. You want us to pull them up? He says, no, you might uproot the wheat. Leave it there till it's time for harvest. And so that's the story. And he sa- Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that. And these, the, book is, the Bible is a spiritual book. It must be interpreted spiritually. But we're thankful when the Lord Jesus gives us a clear interpretation of it. If you would take your Bible real quick and turn to uh, chapter 13, verse 36. Now, allow me to just go through this before I get into the actual message. This is not the primary point that I will make, spend the most time on, although it is, uh, it is a primary lesson. Uh, verse 36, <clears throat> then Jesus sent the multitude away. And went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, Oh, pause. By the way, if you want to learn your Bible, ask Jesus. And then try it again. And read it again. You might be surprised how much you'll get out of it if you actually give him an ear and give him your attention. So, verse 37, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Well, that's Jesus. The field is the world, okay? The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Let me pause and say this. Those that have been born again, those who are children of God, those who are saved, those who are redeemed, that's who that crowd is. They got that way because they are born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God. They received the word of God. They put their faith, first of all, in Jesus Christ to be their Savior, and they received and believed the word of God. That's the crowd we're talking about. So the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. I don't think we need to explain a whole lot there. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. Let me give you, the word is eschatology. It's a big word. Let me give you a, uh, the order of events in the end times. I don't have time to take your Bible and show you every verse, uh, but I'm going to give this to you because I've got confidence that my microphone was not on. 
uh, <coughs> I've got confidence that as I share this with you, each point can be proved. The next order of events in the history of humanity and God's plan with humanity as we move toward the end times would be what we call the rapture or the resurrection of those who are saved. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, and Revelation 4 uh, prove this point that a trumpet will sound and those who are dead in Christ will rise from the grave. It doesn't matter if people believe it or not. It's going to happen. They will rise from the grave and they will be as they ascend to heaven, they will receive a glorified body. You say, well, what if they're, you can't know where their body is? Well, God does. We don't have any fear about that. Well, what if they were eaten by lions? Well, God can put the parts back together, trust me. If He can make something out of nothing, He can do that. While they are ascending, the Bible says those of us who are alive at this time that know Christ, we too will be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. No more separation, physical separation. We will be with the Lord. With those loved ones who have received Christ who died, we'll meet them in the air, and we'll we'll ascend and meet the Lord. Then... On earth, after that uh, immediate extraction, things are going to be weird on earth. A lot of people are going to show up missing. It will bring about worldwide chaos. And in this worldwide chaos, a man will rise to the surface. He is called Antichrist. But he will rise to the surface as a great peacemaker and unite the world. The world will put their confidence in him, and he will gain this great power, and he will enforce a one-world government, which wouldn't take much to do with all of the internet and all of that, and a one-world religion, a one-world economy. He will implement what is called the mark of the beast, where people will not be able to buy or sell without receiving the mark, and their bank account can be pulled up if they have the mark on their hand or their forehead. They'll scan, yep, okay, I need this much, and that's it. Now, they'll sell it to the world because, hey, you can't steal my wallet now. <laughs> All right, and they'll sell it to the world because, you know, if I got a little junior here, I don't want anybody to steal my child, and I know where they can be tracked. They'll be able to sell it. There'll be some who reject it. So this is going to take place, and then at the end of this period, which is a seven-year period we call the Great Tribulation, at the end of this period, Jesus will return. He will step down. See, the first time he didn't touch earth, we met him in the air. This time he's touching earth with 10,000 of his saints, and when he does, he'll, he'll make short work of the false prophet, the Antichrist, and the beast. The unholy trinity. He'll make short work of them. He'll put the devil in a pit for a thousand years. Jesus will rule and reign now, most likely in Jerusalem. He will be a world leader. Better him than Antichrist. People will, people will uh, turn their weapons into plowshares. 
they'll turn it into farm equipment. There'll be no warfare during this thousand years because the Prince of Peace will be ruling. Will there be laws? Well, yes. Will there be justice? Yes. But it will be a time this world has never known in regards to peace and happiness and tranquility. Now, at the end of the thousand years, something unusual takes place. Indulge me. I need to share this with you. But at the end of the thousand years, if you read the, the last few verses of Revelation chapter 20, you discover that the devil who was thrown in this bottomless pit, he's released. I know it's a head-scratcher. He's released. And what he does in a short period of time is he deceives humanity again. And the people he deceives, he brings them together to make war against Jesus and the saints that are with him. It's a pretty short battle because the Lord, uh, with the words of his mouth, takes care of business. Wouldn't be good to be on his, the devil's side. Well, this time the devil is cast into the lake of fire forever. That is the end of the world. Then there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's what we're talking about. I'm glad we got you up to speed there. That's the end of the world. So when Jesus gives the parable of the wheat and the tares and tells us about the harvest, he tells us the harvest time is at the end of the world. Are you with me? Many people, <clears throat> let me just answer a question that maybe went through your mind. Why did, he let the, why did he let the devil out? Did anybody have that on their mind, that question? Come on, did anybody be honest? Two of you? I'm not going to answer it just for two of you. Huh. All right, if more of you had that question, I'll answer that question. All right. This is my opinion. And to answer this, I need to remind you of who repopulated the earth. It wasn't aliens. It was human beings who lived through the tribulation period who still had the old nature called the flesh. That is a sin nature. They were still infected with the sin of Adam and Eve, Eve like you and I are. And they go through this and so... The devil always has an ally when he has our sinful flesh to work with. And so a whole lot of people repopulated the earth, and though they were under, under the leadership of Jesus, they were duped by the devil. And they followed him. So why? I believe God is revealing to us that even a good environment is not the means of salvation. You see, you can shape up your life the best you can, but if you do it without Jesus, you're still lost. You're still unredeemed. You and I cannot save ourselves, only Jesus can. I know there are plenty of people out there that have done good works and made great sacrifices, people that uh, the world would admire, but if they have not received Christ as their Savior, they still had their own selfish sin nature to pay for, like all of us do. The wages of sin is death. That's important that you understand that. I believe that's a lesson that God wants us to learn from that passage of Scripture. But now back to Matthew 13. So I've given you the interpretation, and obviously... <coughs> 
When the Bible talks about believers, there are many terms. He breaks them, or his people. He uses terms such, such as sheep and goat. He uses terms such as wheat and tares. We all want to be wheat. That's the side we want to be, wheat. And how do we become wheat? We must receive Christ as a personal Savior. We must be born again. We must understand we're lost sinners in need of a Savior. We must understand that what Jesus Christ did on the cross by dying, shedding His blood, being buried and rising again was sufficient to pay for my sin penalty. And because of it, eternal life is now offered to me as a gift. But I must receive that. It is not forced upon me. I must of my own volition choose to receive that gift. That's our choice. God gave us that choice. I believe I'm amongst a lot of people who have made that choice. That's why we're together. There might be a few who just showed up out of curiosity's sake, and I hope you feel welcome and see the love of Christ here. But most of us are here because we know what Jesus has done for us. Now, as I read this parable, there were some obvious facts or truths that I feel need to be emphasized. I, I will not exhaust the truth that is in this, but I want to present a few. Because you as a child of God and me as a child of God need to understand this. The first thing I see is this. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. Twice, twice, we discover that after, after the good seed is sown, we discover an enemy comes and he has sowed bad seed. We have an enemy. Hey, listen, it's just part of it. It's part of it. I'd rather be saved and have an enemy than not saved without an enemy. The Apostle Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil goeth about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've got an enemy. You say, Why is life so hard now that i become a Christian? Welcome to the battle. Well, I thought it was going to be easy. Uh, Friend, you're in a different arena. The good news is we have the MVP. The good news is we have an undefeatable soldier. The good news is the captain of our team has never lost a battle. And the good news is all I have to do is follow orders. He'll take care of the enemy. I'm not helping matters when I give place to the devil. We have, and that's just important for us to understand. That's why, listen, that's why you say, well, man, it seems like every time I I try to do right, something comes up and there's problems here and there. Uh, We've got an enemy. He doesn't want life to be easy for you. But on the same token, uh, the trials that, or the, the difficulties he may present to you can be opportunities for us to give God glory. We have an enemy. I just spend a moment there, but I want to move on here. Another fact. The fact is wheat and tares are not the same, but they can look alike for a while. Wheat and tares are not the same, but they can look alike. Now, Jesus is speaking to... uh, Initially in the parable, he's speaking not just to his disciples, but he's speaking to a lot of the Hebrew people and religious people. And he wants people to know that self-righteousness is not going to get you into glory. Confidence in your ability, confidence in your good works is not going to get you into heaven. Because you'll never be good enough if it's up to you. 
And if you believe that, then what do you believe about the blood of Jesus Christ? That it has no merit? That it has a little bit of merit? Because if you believe that it's up to you to get into glory, then the fact of the matter is, you're saying, well, I don't need the blood of Christ. I don't need the sufferings of Christ. Why would He die if, we, if it was up to us? Hello? Well, it's up to Him and us. So there you're saying the blood is not sufficient. No, 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 no. Self-righteousness. He's talking to people that had the appearance of a child of God, but they weren't. By the way, did you know people can look saved and not be saved? Hello? You know, just like people can, people can look like a Christian but not be a Christian. Yeah, you ever run into one? All you got to do is spend a little time around them and you discover, you know what, you're not exactly what you pretended to be at church. Hello? So, uh, these wheat and tares are different. The reality is wheat provides nourishment. Tares have no nourishment. As a matter of fact, tares can make animals sick, let alone humans sick. They can both go to seed. What kind of tares are we talking about here? Well, I believe, uh, what would the devil plant? What kind of tares? Well, one of them would be false doctrine. I don't have a whole lot of time on this. This could be a whole sermon in itself. But the devil would plant false doctrine. Let me cover three real quick here, real quick, okay? Here are three uh, lies the devil would plant. Well, remember this. Uh, What was the first thing he did with Eve? What was the very first seed that he planted in Eve in her head? Anybody remember? Doubt. Hath God said, questioning God's word. Well, that seed's being planted all over the country, is it not? It's, it's gone so far that people absolutely deny, reject the word of God. Well, they bought it, hook, line, and sinker. They rejected the seed of God's truth, and they received another seed. Hello? Okay, so there's that. Then there's, uh, there's one, I mentioned self-righteousness or religion without Jesus. But here's another one. Um, you may not have heard this, but universalism. A teaching where, well, if Jesus died for all, then everybody's saved even if they reject him. Well, that's not true. But there are people that believe that. Well, everybody's saved, all humanity's saved. Now that Jesus paid the price, all humanity's saved. No, no. Why would, Jesus, why would Jesus say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden? Why would, he, why would the Bible say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, if everybody was already saved? Why would the Bible say, to as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God if they didn't have to receive him. That's a lie. That's false doctrine, but that's being propagated because it's a comfortable doctrine. It gives everybody solace about everybody that's ever died. Well, they're all in heaven. I'm sorry. That not according to the scripture. It's a personal decision. Nobody gets to heaven because their grandpappy was saved. Nobody gets to heaven just by being idle and not doing nothing with Christ. No, you can know what Christ did and not receive Christ. It's possible. Universalism. Here's another one. Um, Oh, I could get on a tangent. Uh, 
the uh, liberty without restraint, a teaching about grace that's being propagated in our country. They'll hold up the Bible, they'll talk about grace, grace, and I praise God for grace because you and I are products of God's grace. But grace does not give us the liberty to do whatever we want. God forbid, shall we we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, No. Grace does not give me the liberty to do whatever I want. As a matter of fact, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, teaching us to deny worldly lust, to be sober, righteous in this present world. That's what, that's what grace does. That's what the grace of God does. It is liberty with a bridle. Because we want to. All right, all right. All the, I've, got a, I, I've got a gauntlet I'm going to throw down with everybody here in a moment. Y'all, you know what a gauntlet is? I, I've got a gauntlet I'm throwing down with everybody. I had to throw it down with myself. The, the stanza that got my attention here, so w- w- wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this seed? I mentioned the the enemy sows, false doctrine. But I want to also mention this. Do you realize he he sowed another seed long ago after God planted Adam and Eve in the garden? God planted Adam and Eve in the garden, and then the devil planted a seed, the seed of sin. Adam and Eve were affected by it. They yielded to the devil. They became sinners. As a result, their children would be born sinners because of Adam and Eve. What does that mean? That means they would be born selfish. That means they would be born thinking the world evolved around them. All you got to do is go to the nursery. I got a little grandbaby, I love it, and we don't help matters, I know. But children think the world evolves around them. Maturity comes inevitably, and people discover, you know, not everybody thinks about me the way I do. How about that? That's a smack in the face for every little child that has to experience that. I can't believe people don't love me the way I'd been treated so much as a one, two, three, and four-year-old. No, not everybody's going to change your little diaper. And they're not going to spoon feed you, buddy. So, no, uh, the devil, we have tears. In my heart, I got tears. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, the, heartful, the heart is deceitfully wicked above measure. Who can know it? Desperately wicked above measure. Who can know it? That's what God says about our heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, He said, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies, fornications, and adulteries. All of that wicked behavior that you and I would read about or see or even do comes from the heart. 
By the way, in the millennial reign, those people that were born with the Adamic nature that repopulated earth, they had all that right there the whole time. Tares were there. Now, let me just tell you, let me give you testimony. When I received Christ as my Savior, the tares didn't go away. The tares didn't go away. I thought they were supposed to. When I first got saved, I thought, man, this is important. I'm going to heaven. I'll never sin again. You know how long it took me to learn that wasn't right? One day. It would have been shorter, but I went to bed after I got saved. I didn't know the terminology, I didn't know the words, but as I've studied my Bible, I discovered for crying out loud, I've got tears. And when I read the passage, Jesus says, he says in the parable, that the sower says to his servants, let both grow together. He's telling them, they're going to grow together. Now I want to say something here. Here's something beautiful. The tares do not have to hinder the wheat from growing. Are you with me? You say, I know Jesus as my Savior, and I admit that I still have tares. Welcome to our club. And here's the reality, and here's the truth. The wheat can still grow in spite of the tares. In the wilderness, when the, God had to uh, chastise His people with those fiery serpents, the people cried out and said, Lord, remove the serpents. And the Lord did not remove the serpents. He says, I'm not going to remove them, but I will provide a remedy. And He provided, we know at the time, it was a brazen serpent to point to the, Jesus being a substitute for the curse. Uh, nevertheless, He gave them a remedy. It worked, but they didn't remove the serpents. And God says, listen, you're going to have to live with the tares in your heart until the end now the day will come you're going to put off that old flesh and you'll be completely delivered from the tares but between now and then you're going to live with the tares so what's the advice he wants to give us uh, go wheat come on wheat uh, grow wheat you know it's possible to have a house full of people that know Christ their savior and yet we all look, like, look and act like a bunch of tares because what do tares do? Tares divide. Tares destroy. and t Tares can go to seed as well and spread cynicism and criticism and all kinds of wickedness and un ungodly behavior. That's what tares will do. And it comes from our hearts. I got tares in my heart and you got tares in your heart. Well, I don't like this. That's just terrible. That's too bad. They must grow together. <clears throat> but the beauty is they can grow. The <clears throat> wheat can grow. There will come a day of separation. Turn over to Matthew chapter 15. I want to show you something. <clears throat> Matthew 15, verse 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Aha! Uh -huh. The Lord didn't plant the tares. Hello? He didn't plant the tares. No, no, no. They were planted when uh, humanity believed, hath God said? 
You shall not surely die. And they believed that. Yeah. When they received the devil's lie versus God's truth, that's when the tares were sown. And now all of us have tares that we can't get rid of. Glory to God, though, in your own heart, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you've got to win in chance. We don't have to look like tares. We don't have to act like tares. If we have wheat in us, the wheat can grow. The challenge is this. Here's where the gauntlet is. Gauntlet. Here's why I throw down the gauntlet. <clears throat> Outgrow the tares. I can't keep them. I can't get rid of them. But I can outgrow them. The Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He wasn't just talking to young Christians. He was talking to all Christians. You've got to keep on growing because the tares will if you don't. I'm here to tell you if Jesus is not growing in your life, self is. If Jesus is not being more manifest in your life, your flesh is. And you know what the Apostle Paul said about his tares? He said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's what he said. You know what else? Je- Jesus said, the flesh profiteth nothing, just like tares. They profit nothing. It's the spirit that quickeneth. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have received Christ as your Savior, the good news is you can grow, the wheat can grow, but the challenge is this, outgrow the tares, outgrow the bad attitude, outgrow the doubt, outgrow the selfishness, outgrow the laziness, outgrow outgrow the envy, outgrow the pride, outgrow the greed, outgrow it all, friend, outgrow the fleshly appetites, the, the lust of the flesh that destroy, outgrow it. Grow in grace. That's the challenge. But it's in your hands. It's up to you. Every individual has to make that decision. What you fertilize, what you water, and what you fill yourself with. Because I'm here to tell you that wheat needs to be cared for. Tares grow all by themselves. But if Jesus Christ is going to be manifest in your life and my life, it's going to be a deliberate decision because of me. Hey, listen, teenager, uh, your parents can't make you grow in grace. No more than they can make you grow physically. You've got to make that decision all by yourself. I'm here to tell you, when you grow, when you over, outgrow the tares, that's when you experience joy, purpose. That's when you are beneficial to the people around you. That's when you get to know God in an intimate, personal way. That's when life give, is worth the living right there. That's when you get, have a reason to get up in the morning. When you outgrow the tares, every single day i got to struggle with tares. And every week I look back at my week and I say to myself, Stupid tears. They make me miserable. I give in here and I give in there and I'm like, oh, you rotten tears. And God says, get up and take care of the wheat. I love what the Bible says about Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3. Three times you'll read this phrase about Samuel. I love this. Three times. 
He is a young man. He is now adopted by a preacher. The preacher's boys who are adults are ungodly men, but they're in the ministry. This young man is in this house where there's a lot of hypocrisy going on. And three times it says this about Samuel in significant occasions. The first time it says it right after Samuel. It's, it's interesting that it says this right after Samuel had to make a tough decision. He had to make a tough decision. God spoke to Samuel as a little boy. He's on his bed and God had a message for Samuel. And that message was that he was going to judge Eli's boys. They were going to die for their sin. He's a little boy. Those are grown-ups, and this is the man who adopted him, and God gives him this message. Eli calls him in and says, what did God say to you? Uh, uh, can you imagine a little kid saying, uh, God said that your boys are going to die? You think that was an easy message? He's a little boy being taken care of. That's a tough message. The Bible says, though, he did let none of God's words fall to the ground. And right after that, it says in Samuel did grow. And Samuel did grow. And the next three, two occasions where it says, and Samuel grew and Samuel grew, all springboard around adverse circumstances, yet Samuel grew, yet Samuel grew. And I'm here to tell you, regardless of the tears in this world, and regardless of the tears of your past, and regardless of the tears you're battling right now, you can grow. You can grow, but it's up to you. You got to decide. We got to fight this thing all the way to the end. All the way to the end, but it's always worth the fight. Fight the good fight. I can't remove them, but I can outgrow them. The tears don't have to be the one thing that's most manifest in my life. The bad attitude, the cynicism, the selfishness it's not the, does not have to be the one thing that shows itself. I can show the wheat, the grace, the love, the kindness, the patience, the holiness, the integrity, the honesty uh, of, of the wheat that comes from Christ. But it's a personal decision. I'll close with this. <clears throat> I shared this in our personal growth class. There was a wise old man in a small community years ago that... <clears throat> was known for his sage advice and wisdom. And there were some young boys. One of them was a big prankster, and he told his buddies, he said, hey, I'm going to trick this wise old man. I'm going to get one over on him this time. They said, what are you going to do? He said, well, just watch me. And they caught this bird. They caught this bird. And this little rascal knocked on the door, and he had a bird in his hand. And he said to the wise old man, he said this, he said, Sir, I got a riddle for you. I bet you can't answer it. He said, I have a bird in my hand. Is it dead or alive? The wise man looked at them, paused for a moment, and said, Well, if I say he's alive, you'll kill it. If I say he's dead, You'll let him loose. So the wise old man with his white old beard looked down at those young men and said, Boys, it's in your hands. You decide if it's dead or alive. 
And ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you right now, whether the wheat is most manifest or the tares are most manifest, it's in your hands. You decide. Father, bless the message. Thank you for the Word of God. May the Spirit of God help us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be sensitive to your leadership. With every head bowed and every eye closed, it may be there's somebody in the room that does not know where they would spend eternity. Friends, I'm here to tell you that we don't have eternity promised to us. We must make a decision personally about our eternity. And Christ has paid the full price. But I want to ask this. I want you to consider something. Are you ready to take your last breath here? If you are not ready, if you'd say, Preacher, I, I, I don't want to die and go to hell, but I don't know that I'll go to heaven. I don't know that. If you would lift your hand so I could see it, I'd like to pray for you. I will not embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. If, you, if that's you, would you lift your hand up so I can see it? Is there anybody here that say, Preacher, that's me. Pray for me. If you'd slip your hand up. Anybody like that as I look around? God bless you. Yes, I see that hand. Are there others that would say, That's me, Preacher. I'm not sure. I'd like to know, but I don't know. Pray for me. Are there any others as I look around? Any others? All right, I do not want to embarrass anybody, but those of you that raised your hand, would you look at me? Just those of you that raised your hand. If I could have somebody show you from the Bible how you could go, how you could be sure you could go to heaven, would you be willing to take a look at that? If you would, would you nod your head yes or no? All right, all right. I hope you'd see somebody. Talk to me afterward. Father, we love you, and I'm thankful, Lord, for the many people who have already received you as their Savior. May you bless our invitation now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.